Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live, July 5th. Here to review, discuss, to unravel the Dhamma. Today we have a, a rather odd sort of quote. Doesn't seem to me to be all that of an essential quote. Talks about associating with good people. And I don't think it's quite a good translation. The Miku Bodhi's translation seems more reasonable to me. As a person who should be associated with, to be followed, to be served. What kind of a person, what kind of a person should you follow? It starts off, the sutta starts off by uh, talking about those who should be looked upon with disgust and not associated with. So if someone is immoral or of bad character, impure of suspect behavior, such a person one should not follow. Because even if one doesn't uh, take their example, says how Bodhi says it doesn't take their example, still people will assume the worst. You'll be, you will be branded. Tired, what do they say? Tired with the same brush? Something like that. People will think, oh, you must be like that person that you follow. Among other things, I mean, uh, there's lots of trouble that surrounds people who, are, who, who do bad things. So sometimes we remain friends and we, out of loyalty, think that we should stick with people who are in a bad way for reasons other than their, their behavior. And um, regardless of whether you agree with that, there's a certain amount of trouble that follows from associating with corrupt individuals, people who are immoral, impure, They do bad things. Your person, in the end, such people should be avoided if possible. There's lots of reasons. And the Buddha gives one of the, I guess the most obvious is the bad reputation. And it makes it hard to live your life because no one wants to be around you all of a sudden because they know who your friends are. And there's another type of person who should be looked upon with equanimity, but also not associated with. So the first type of person should be looked upon with disgust. To be shunned. And they're not looked upon with disgust. Should be shunned. 
The second type of person uh, should be seen with equanimity, but also not associated. This is a person who, though they may not do bad things, say say bad things, they still well, they don't do evil deeds, but they still have evil evil uh, mind states. So they're prone to anger. If they're slightly criticized, they become they lose their temper and become irritable, hostile, and stubborn. They display irritation, hatred, and bitterness. Just as a festering sore, if struck by a stick or a shard, will discharge even more matter, so too. Or just as a firebrand will sizzle and crack. Just as a pit of feces, if struck by a stick, will become even more foul-smelling. So, these sort of people... You best just leave them alone. You don't. They're not. They're not identifiably evil in terms of giving you a bad reputation or getting you caught up in evil deeds or even worse, uh, encouraging you yourself to engage in evil deeds. But there's a certain nastiness for people who get angry and for people who are greedy. These sort of people, you, you should still try to keep your distance. Not because of the explicit evil, but because of the more... Uh, not still explicit, but the more inner uh, corruption. that's going to... You poke it with a stick, it starts, it smells even worse. If you get involved with such people, there's always conflict, there's always trouble. And sort of people are best best treated like a pile of crap. And it's okay as long as you don't touch it, poke it with a stick or step in it or something. But then there's such a person who should be associated with, followed and served. This is what the quote says. If someone is virtuous and of good character, you should hang out with them. This is the sort of person you should stick around with. I think there's this curious, uh, it's just a reflection of the other one, but it's still kind of curious that it's not the, the only reason. But uh, he says, even if you don't, even if you don't do, follow the example and become a good person yourself, people will, spread, will uh, give a good reputation. Oh, yes. This person has good friends. This person has good good companions. I, mean, I think there's it's a little bit superficial to say, but there's something a little more to it than that. It's a sign of good judgment, and but I think more importantly, it's it's a it's an, a doorway. You know, even if you don't become a good person by associating with good people. There's always the option, the opportunity. You know, the, the the sort of superficial benefits of having people say good things about you, and even being free from any of the the dangers or the troubles that come from associating with corrupt people. But all that's fairly superficial. Obviously, more important is even if you don't pick up their bad their habits immediately, 
the opportunity to pick up good habits and the potential to become a better person is, of course, it's greatly improved when you hang out with good people. So you may not be, there's no need to feel inferior or unworthy as so on. You should seek out good people with the thought that I will become a better person myself. Anyway, it's a fairly simple quote. Not much to say about that. But there's so much to say about friendship, you know, about hanging out with good people, being around good people. Especially when you're doing something so uh, personal as meditation, so much to do with the individual. It's important you associate with good individuals who are a good example, people who we'd like to become more more similar to people who are engaged in, in activities that uh, we're attempting to cultivate ourselves. So when you see other people meditating, it's more likely that you're going to meditate yourself. More importantly, this, uh, the good qualities of such a person are more likely to rub off and uh, provide a good example, uh, sort of a road sign something to look for when you're on the path to start becoming more like these people as you see the good the goodness in them there's a great benefit for being around good people it's great to come to a meditation center we've got lots of people coming this year this is great we've got people signing up for courses uh, all the way through october so far Really, uh, really great to see such interest. So, we're still looking for a steward. If there's anybody out there who would like to come and stay for a longer period, I've had some people. There's one person from Israel who mentioned staying long term, so maybe that'll work out. I don't know. I'm coming in September, I think. But if anyone would like to talk about that, then would be interested in helping out around here for months or some longer period of time, that'd be great. Lots of stuff going on. So any questions? Does meditating during an activity count as a formal practice? Would it be all right to log it as time spent in meditation? Yeah, I mean, there's no, it's not like we're going to check on you as to how you meditated or so on. But uh, I don't quite understand what you're saying. Training an activity. I don't understand what, what you mean by activity. Is there a shared responsibility impact for one another's lives? than just one's own responsibility, collective responsibility. Not, not really, but there's a sense of rightness. If you, if you don't help other people when given the opportunity, there's, there's a sense of tension involved. And to some extent you have, you're, you're 
in order to stay at peace you have to do some things to benefit others if you are cold and ignore the benefit of benefit to others it can be a hindrance to your practice but no we're not responsible for other people's well-being not directly we just have certain duties that as individuals it's proper to perform or you know it, it's it's a part of right what's right and the right action for the individual often often involves helping others you're looking for disciples for your center other monks or people seeking to become monks i would be interested being a steward, what would be the setup? Well, the setup um, is that you'd have to do about a month of meditation with us first, and then you just stay on after that. But it would involve doing some of the things that intensive meditators, beginner meditators anyway, aren't uh, able to do, like some amount of cleaning and uh, organizing and. Uh, caring for the monastery and helping me out with whatever I need I mean we had someone recently who had a car which was great so I could drive place, he could drive me places but uh, that's not not entirely necessary but it would be a plus um, yeah some cooking maybe but not, not really it's some things to do with um, you know, we need a local person to organize things that I can't organize. Things with money and, uh, and buying basic supplies for the monastery. There's just, there's not a lot to do, but there are things to be done. It would help to have a steward. I think, yeah, I think part of it was the organization wanted someone who would cook for me. Because right now I'm going to uh, the restaurant. And... Uh, taking advantage of people's generosity uh, in offering gift cards for certain restaurants but it's quite expensive so it's not it's not exactly uh, what do you call it's not efficient or economical we're doing that it make more sense to somehow do cooking at the monastery Um, but as far as becoming a monk, I'm shying away from that. But you know, long-term meditative, the option is certainly open. But we're not really advertising it because it's, it's too easy to miss the point. Ordaining should be a part of your meditation practice. It shouldn't be anything separate. If you want to meditate long-term, well, becoming a monk means means that allowing you to do that. That's all. By calling someone's behavior disgusting, is that not judging? Yeah, I mean, judging is not always bad. Discerning. I mean, disgusting is probably the wrong word. Um, and it's just a word, but if you're actually disgusted by something, obviously that is a disliking of it or uh, an um, aversion towards it. 
but there's a, we we use disgust in a sort of a it's just a word in regards to this this sort of a different kind of repulsion in the sense of the inability to do it through wisdom the inability to to get involved with something out of a knowledge that it's bad that it's wrong that it leads to suffering basically so if you know something leads to suffering it's like the more you know the harder it is for you to engage in it and when the, the potential to engage with people for example who are doing bad things arises when the, when the opportunity arises there's a certain recoiling that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with aversion but it's uh, it's based on the knowledge that that's not the way to do things getting involved with that person is not beneficial I clean a bathroom, I do it mind, as mindfully as possible. Right. No, that's not quite what we're looking for. We're looking for I mean, that's great. That's awesome if you're able to do it. But um, we're really looking for formal meditation practice. That's what's meant here. We do actually do formal walking and sitting. Amazed that you do not cook your own food. I meditate while preparing food as part of my practice. Monks aren't allowed to uh, keep food. It's part of a practice of renunciation as a lifestyle. We don't keep foods, cook food. We can't eat anything unless it's unless it's given to us. Yeah, I mean, it, preparing your own food has its own problems because of the ability to choose these sort of uh, mental activity involved with choosing your own food and, and thinking about what food you're going to eat and so to some extent obsessing over the, the health and so on of it. Now, there's something great about just having to eat whatever is being offered and, and moreover, uh, sort of the scraps that you get by going through the village, that's the greatest. So that's sort of the model is, is for monks to go walking through the village for scraps of alms, whatever people are willing to give as charity. Because in India it was a big thing to give food to recluses, to religious people. And they would get enough to survive, and that was it. You avoid a lot of the trouble of having to cook food and the potential you know, potential distraction involved in storing and cooking and having a kitchen in the first place. So monks aren't allowed to. Monks, being a monk is, a, is a, it's on a different level. Of course, for meditators, cooking your own food is fine. There's just a sense that it's an unwarranted distraction. If you're able to be free from that, you can focus more on deep meditation. It's too easy to get distracted. Sure, you can be mindful cooking. It's great. But during a meditation course, much better not to have to cook. It's too much of a distraction, especially for a beginner meditator. 
lots of things the Buddha said don't don't get involved in don't get caught up in work don't get caught up in sleep don't get caught up in uh, talk don't get caught up in uh, socializing don't get caught up in eating this thing is getting in the way of your practice all right so unfortunately i don't think our quote was all that pithy tonight and a few questions doesn't look like there's any more if you have any more questions i'll be here again tomorrow broadcasting a little bit every day so thank you all for tuning in keep up the good work <laughs>